Hey, what's up guys? It's Michael from the Honest Youth Pastor YouTube channel, the channel that helps believers use biblical discernment in all aspects of life. Today, we are doing that yet again with a sermon review. In case you are new, each week we cover a variety of different pastors and preachers from a variety of different churches and places that you have suggested. This uh, Today we're covering a Catherine Crink from 5F Church. I have no clue what 5F Church is, but we're covering her because you guys suggested it a number of times. And also she popped up on my, uh, on my feed, uh, as regards to like, I don't know if it was Instagram or TikTok or where, but the point is she did. And I thought, well, this lady, we're going to take a look at, cause she's already on the list. So today we'll be doing that. If you're new to this channel or to a sermon review each week, we do a sermon review, uh, as I've said, and we look at three different things. We ask, do they read the text? We ask, do they exegete the text using context and culture to bring out the application of that text? And do they three preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's what we're looking at. That's what we're looking at each week. Today, we're going to be looking at one of her messages called Not by Might, but by the Spirit, the entire sermon link. So you don't have to listen to me if you don't want to. The link for the original sermon will be down below in the description, along with a variety of other links, one of which is going to be our sermon review guide. It's free PDF download to you, as well as some other links if you care to support us via Patreon or maybe some of the resources we've made. Whatever you want to do or nothing. You could just, you could simply like the video and subscribe. That's free. That's just clicking a button. So let's go ahead over to the screen of the review and let's get right into it. Let's see what Catherine Crink is going to say today. Now to uh, full disclosure, <clears throat> as always, uh, I like to say this if I've watched or have not watched this sermon. I have not watched this sermon at all. So this watch through is going to be a first for me as it is for you. So I guess we're just me and you have went out to the middle of the park or the forest down next to a, a down tree. And we're going to listen to Catherine Crink, Catherine Crick preach on not by might, but by the spirit. Let's go. Today, we're going to learn how to change the world. how to really change the world. This is a spiritual teaching, how to change the world. You won't hear this many places, but this is really how to change the world. We're gonna learn today, amen? In John 18, 36. Okay, as always, <clears throat> if a verse comes up, we wanna go to it, so let's go ahead and open our Bible apps and go to John 18. 36 is where she is starting. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, we're hmm. we're starting in the middle of a section. So that's always curious. The actual section she's going to be reading out of is uh, where Jesus is being interrogated by Pilate. Um, we'll see if she mentions that, though. She's just going to start at verse 36. Um, so go ahead and get there. Matthew chapter 18, verse 36. Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting hard to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. We're in a lot of kingdoms in the world. If we are American, we can say we're part of that kind of kingdom. Like we are American citizens. We are part of that government. We are, that's part of our kingdom. That can be a kingdom we're a part of. There are many different kinds of kingdoms in this world, but our true kingdom 
as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, is the kingdom of God. That's our kingdom. Our kingdom is not the kingdom of America. Our kingdom is not the kingdom of from wherever country you're from or whatever, any other kind of kingdom. We are citizens of heaven. Not okay, so real quick, I don't know, like, it's, it's weird to me that this is cutting so much. I don't know if anything's cut out is what I'm saying. So we're just going to have to go with what she gave us. This is on her, her page. So we're going to assume that this is what she wants us to see. I don't know if it's being edited or not. It's jump cutting a lot, though. Uh, for those of you not watching the video version and watching uh, and listening rather to the audio, there's a lot of jump cuts here. So here, this isn't our true home. That's our true home. We're visiting here. Okay, we're come, we've come here to do a, on a mission, on assignment. We've come here to bring the kingdom of God here. Not to do things the kingdom of America's way or the kingdom of the world's way or the kingdom of politics way. We've come to bring the kingdom of God to this earth. Amen. We need to understand that these kingdoms are very different. And in one way that these kingdoms are very different is that it says in the Bible in Zechariah 4, 6, not... Okay, again, uh, so we're, we've been in Matthew 18, 36. We're also going to go uh, to Zechariah 4. So we want to go there real quick. And here's the thing that I would always encourage you guys, and I, I hope that you know this already, but in case you don't, uh, definitely if you're listening to somebody that's jumping around like this so much, take notes. Um, it's going to be really hard to probably keep up with them if you're just sitting there with your Bible. Uh, so I would definitely take notes so that you can verify all this. Obviously, we can stop and pause and all that while we're doing this. But in real life, you're not going to be able to do that. So here we go. <clears throat> Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. By might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Let's say that together. Not by might, nor by power, but by by my spirit, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. Meaning this kingdom shall come to this earth, not by might, not by power, but by the spirit of. Okay, hold on. Uh, so let's go back to the beginning of this chapter, just so we have some sort of idea of what's going on. So Zechariah chapter four, because what she's just done, she's attributed the kingdom of God. So she goes to Jesus' trial in Matthew with Pilate, where Jesus says, this kingdom is not of my world, of this world. And then she's then jumped over to Zechariah chapter four, used one verse here to then say that um, this is how the kingdom will come. So let, let's get the context of Zechariah four. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who was awakened from his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see... And behold, a lampstand of all, uh, all of gold and a bowl on top of it and seven lampstands on it with seven lips uh, on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on the left. And I said to him, the angel, and I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? 
And the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? <laughs> and I said, it's just a funny question. And he's, and I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to uh, Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain and he shall bring forever uh, I'm sorry, he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace onto it. And then it keeps going. So within that context, um, this is com- completely within the context of what's happening in Zechariah and the, and the vision that Zechariah uh, is having. This has nothing to do uh, with the kingdom of heaven. And, and it doesn't have anything to do. I mean, we, we've got a very short synopsis. There's obviously a lot that we could dig in there as far as exegetically and sort of what's happening by the time we get to chapter four in Zechariah. But the point being that we can clearly see this has nothing to do with what she's talking about right now. God, we are called to bring the kingdom of God to this earth, not by might, not by power, but by God's spirit. What connection does that have? That's just automatically the question I think we should be asking. If we understand the context of Zechariah four verse six, uh, that she keeps using, um, not by power. And it's not even, it's not even the whole verse. This is the second half of the verse, because if you read all of verse six, you see that that's not what we're talking about. So that's just the point. Again, this is why you need to write down the verses and look them up. God's spirit is the most powerful force in this whole universe. It is more than a million times more powerful than any kind of physical force of this earth than any kind of political force of this earth, than any kind of nuclear bomb of this earth. It's so much more powerful. Hallelujah. We need to remember this. This is how real change will come to this world, is by God's spirit. Okay, so here's the thing that we need to ask, like during any sermon, whenever a pastor is making an assumption, like an assertion, right? So anytime I make an assertion from the pulpit when I'm preaching, um, ideally, right, that is coming from some sort of scripture that I've read. Um, But nothing she's read yet has said that the kingdom of God is going to come to the earth via spirit, uh, via his, like the, the Holy Spirit. Like that's nothing we've read so far has said that. And that's something we need to connect, right? Whenever we see verses like the trial of Jesus before Pilate or this one half verse out of Zechariah. We can't just add all of these together and then make assertions. And that's what we need to listen for, which again is why note taking is important. I'm not, again, I'm not, I don't have any clue who this um, uh, Catherine Crick is. I saw one reel from her and I know you guys suggested it, but already we're only three minutes in and this is fairly concerning. The world has no clue about God's spirit. They have no clue. For them, change comes by might and by power, period. That's how it comes, by force, by laws, by earthly rulers. That's how change comes. That's not how change comes in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Now, throughout the Bible, we see We see such change and victory come for the kingdom of God when things are done by the Spirit. When vessels truly do things 
by the Spirit completely. There were millions of Israelites who were in bondage, who were slaves for 400 years, for several hundreds of years, they were slaves for such a long time. And there was, Pharaoh was so much more powerful in the physical realm than them, so much more powerful. They couldn't just get up and run, and they couldn't just get up and try to fight. There's no way they would have won. In the world's way, the, the Pharaoh and, and the, that his kingdom would win, hands down. But by the spirit of God, Pharaoh had no chance. He was defeated. Pharaoh and his kingdom were completely defeated. God put the supernatural power, his supernatural power in Moses. And Moses did signs and wonders and miracles. These signs and wonders and miracles made a way for eventually millions to be allowed to leave, released to leave where they had been in bondage for so long. It was literally only the spirit of God. It was not the spirit of God and some force. It was completely the spirit of God. It was the spirit of God that parted the sea and made millions to walk through the sea. And then, then the spirit of God closed the sea on their enemies. Only the spirit of God really quick i mean again she's not she's not pulling to any um any text here i i think we could all agree that it is it was the lord god almighty that did all of the things that she said so trinitarian speaking uh speaking in a trinitarian way it was the spirit of god right that does these things because the spirit is god um but i don't think as far as um as far as the text states, it was the spirit of God that did the, I mean, it was, it was God, it was God leading his people, um, again, by fire by day or fire by night and, and smoke by day. Um, anyway, then the Israelites many years later, finally were able to get into the promised land, but they didn't know how they were going to get in the promised land because without the spirit, it was impossible because there was big giants in that land. It was a whole big city of giants. And in the natural realm, they were much stronger than all of them. There's no way it would be possible in the natural realm, no matter how many weights they lifted and how many weapons they carried. But God said, you're going to walk around. I want you to walk around these walls and just obey me several times. I want you to praise me. I want you to blast trumpets and praise to me. And with that obedience, you're going to allow my spirit to come. And God's spirit made that wall, those walls to come down made them be off guard and they were able to defeat everyone there in the promised land it was by the spirit that that those walls came down it was not by force at all it was not them hitting uh, putting dynamite to the bricks it was completely by the spirit of god that that wall came down that they entered the promised land amen not by might not by power but by the spirit this is what not by might not by power but by the spirit looks like and you see in both of those stories it was completely by the spirit it wasn't oh half and half completely by the spirit okay so here's the thing we're just going to read this the last half here of the story of the battle of jericho right so joshua chapter 6 uh 1 through 21 is the actual story what we'll do is we'll just get to 
we'll get to verse 20 and 21. This is the very last of it, right? So it says, So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened that when the people heard the sound of the trumpets and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat. And the people went into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep, donkey, with the edge of the sword. So <laughs> there's a lot we could get into here. Um, but some of it was by force. I mean, not to, again, there's, there's so much you could do exegetically with this passage and what's going on and their trust in the Lord and what the Lord told them to do and all of that. But technically speaking, um, the Lord, uh, told them what to do. The wall did fall down and then they technically did take it by force. I'm I mean, again, not to, you know, make your point not good, but they did. This change came. These miracles came. This victory came. Then Jesus comes. Jesus comes, and before Jesus came, I mean, the, the, the people of God were expecting the Messiah, and they, they, there really needed to be change. It was really dark, evil times. The government was really corrupt. It was dark times, and they, they were waiting for Messiah. They knew they needed the Messiah. They knew they needed the Messiah to come as king and to bring this massive change and to save them. Now, but in their minds, they were not thinking of, of what the kingdom of God is really like. They were not remembering or having revelation of how Moses and, how, and the Israelites and Joshua and the Israelites actually brought change and had victory. By the spirit. No, they, they, the wall fell and they took it by force. <laughs> I'm just, the, there's a reason that the Jew, the Jewish people uh, thought that the Messiah was going to be this, this coming king that defeated the Romans, right? They had had a taste of this, by the way. I mean, history, I, I'm not going to say that she doesn't know the history leading up to Jesus coming. I'm not going to say she doesn't know the intertestamental history. She very well may. She's giving a very broad brush of it if she does. But the idea is that they've had examples within the intertestamental times, right? Between them being exiled to Babylon, uh, Persians taking over the Babylonian Empire, and then sending the Israelites back to their land, or at least telling them they could come back. So all of this time frame, there's actually been, Israel's had independence for a pretty good chunk of time. I think it's... Um, almost like 150 years they were independent for a while then the romans came and there was this deal that was made between the king of israel and, and the romans and then so this is how by the time we get to the new testament the romans actually have control over israel uh because of some historical dealings as far as inner infighting within the the uh, the state of israel and so not only that even before this We've had, um, we've had the Maccabean revolt. We've had like, there, there's been times over and over again in which, um, Israel's had like in their recent memory, by the time Jesus comes back of these rulers that have defeated the powers, um, not that e any of those rulers up to that point had declared themselves Messiah. Um, but the point is that there's a reason that that's what they were looking for, not only within recent history, but obviously just prophecy. So, I don't know. It's just, it's a very broad brush that she's using here. And I don't know with, with, as we said in the other sermon reviews, whenever somebody's giving you like, these aren't even really facts. These are just like vague recollections that she's trying to, to, to throw out in order to make a point that it's not my might, but by spirit. And that verse itself from Zechariah four 
is so ripped out of context that it's not, you can't even really use that um, within the context she's trying to use it in. I mean, you could, you could theoretically, like if you were going to preach a sermon on Zechariah 4 and then go through and walk people through the history of how we got to chapter four, what's going on in chapter four, what the prophecy, what the vision is about, what the angel's talking about. Like there's a way to do this well. So people understand not by spirit or not by might, but by spirit. But the way she's using it here, it's ripping it out of the context and then applying it to uh, wherever, well, really wherever she wants to, right? Even the story of the battle of Jericho, um, she's ripped it out and applied it there and said it wasn't by force that they took over, but by the spirit. But it, there was force involved. Like, obviously, they obeyed God, the walls fell, and then they took the city. But it's not like they didn't take the city by force. They did take the city by force. Um, anyway, it's just, I'm not sure where she's going right now. Like, it's a, it's a 40-minute sermon that she's giving. We're about 10 minutes in. I'm just not sure, like, when are we getting to the point? Instead, they were thinking physical. They were expecting Jesus to come as a political king. That's what they were expecting. In their minds, that is how the change would come. That's the only way. That's a big reason why many people actually missed Jesus. Because though they are people of God, though they know the word of God very well, they had in their minds, this is the only way to bring God's way to the earth. This is the only way, by this might, by this power, to have this political king Messiah, but Jesus came as a lowly servant. Jesus came not of someone of a high status, rank, rich, political. He didn't come from a political family. He didn't come from a rich family. He was a carpenter's son, and he came from Nazareth, where they said nothing good comes from there. So here he is, the opposite of a political leader, of what they were expecting, the opposite. He's just like this normal guy. He was a carpenter too. I mean, just a normal guy walking around. But this guy changed the whole world. Yes. Amen. Amen. And he did it only by his spirit. It wasn't by might that Jesus changed the world. It wasn't by power that Jesus changed the world. It was completely by the spirit. Jesus changed the world person by person from the inside. Jesus went to where the root of every problem in this world is, in the spiritual realm. Jesus. Okay. Um, hmm. I mean, there were, there were interactions he had with demons for sure. Um, a lot of the healings he did though were physical healings. I mean, it wasn't, um, what, one thing I guess it was that I should have mentioned that was included in the notes that somebody sent with Catherine Creek was that apparently she's part of like some deliverance ministries where she like, you know, demons and whatnot. So apparently that's some of her background. Um, I don't think we're probably going to see any of it in this video. It doesn't seem like that, but um, that does sort of where her realm of influence lies apparently, or some of the things that she's influenced by. So it's possible that she's going to say this a few more times, but um I don't know. There's again, if here's, here's the thing as pastors, right? If we're going to preach now, again, there's going to be somebody saying she's a woman. She shouldn't be preaching anyway. Like agree. There should not be women elders, but the point is she is. So if you're going to be a pastor and you're going to preach, right? At least when you're doing so, 
give some scriptural backing, some scriptural evidence for these things that you're saying. Whenever you just say things and throw them out into the void and expect people to believe them, maybe they do, but that's not incredibly helpful. That builds a lot of people that are simply there um, to eat up whatever you say, but they don't actually know what they believe. They're, they are literally being their they, without you around as their pastor, they don't even know what to say because you're the one feeding them all of this stuff. And so we don't have any scriptural evidence to back up what she's saying as far as Jesus operates in the spiritual realm. Um, again, there, there's verses she could pull from as far as Jesus casting out the demons of the man, uh, the, the legion of demons out of the man and casting them into the pigs. She could do um, the, uh, when he cast the legion out uh, or the demon out of the boy that, you know, threw himself in fire all the time. Like there's examples you could go to um, if I guess you really wanted to press that point. Knew that demons were behind these evil actions. So Jesus came by the spirit. And this is how Jesus came. He didn't come with condemnation and say, you all are evil. You better come to me so I can cast the demons out of you. He didn't come that way. Because how to, how to receive Jesus, how to receive the fullness of Jesus, how to receive freedom from the demons, and how to maintain that freedom and not open up the doors again is to receive Jesus in your life completely as Lord, to surrender your life to him and to live every day to serve him. That's the only way that someone can receive freedom and maintain that freedom. That's the only way. It's simple. Okay. But okay. So how do we get people to receive Jesus and to want to actually surrender and serve to serve Jesus. That's the thing. Jesus showed us how, actually. He showed us. When we read the Gospels, we see how Jesus ministers. We see how Jesus... So the point has now shifted from not by might, but by the Spirit, to how do we get people to want to follow Jesus and serve Jesus? And now she's going to outline that via the Gospels people and whatever he's doing when he's preaching the gospel when he's casting out demons when he's healing the sick when he's raising the dead he's always doing it out of love and it's made really clear that it's out of love there's not a hint of condemnation there's not a hint of shame and judgment but he is full of compassion mercy forgiveness and love when he preaches the gospel, he preaches it with compassion and with love. He's not preaching it. You guys are evil. You guys are sinners. You need to receive me as your Lord. You need to surrender your life to me and follow me. And leave. Jesus did not do that. People will never give, people will never give their lives to Jesus if they don't actually meet the real Jesus and see how amazing his love is. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Okay, so yeah, so that, um, the kindness of, so, okay, there's a lot here. Like, I've just, my, why I'm so confused, <laughs> I suppose, is that 
this isn't really a coherent sermon. This isn't like we're not in the text. Like we do have like if you look there, like in the bottom left hand corner of the screen that she's in, there's there's a lady there with the Bible open. Um, the person beside like on the ground to the right on the screen there had notes open earlier and was taking notes. So like people are, are being attentive, but I'm just not sure like we haven't. So we read two texts uh, and we really haven't taken anything from them other than what we wanted to which was the kingdom of heaven and then not by might, but by spirit. And then everything else has literally been that thrown in a blender and shot back out with um, no, like we're not anchored in the Bible. We're anchored again, as I've said a bazillion times in whoever's talking. She's just, just talking like (laughs) this isn't, we're not, we're not edifying the body using the scriptures. We're not building them up. We're not, um, rebuking. We're not like, we're, we're not doing any of that stuff via the scriptures. Basically what we've said thus far, 12 minutes in is that, um, the kingdom of God comes not by power, but by the spirit. Okay. We've given some examples that have not been good examples. And then now we're just talking about if you're going to get people to come to Jesus, then you have to be you have to be nice to them and not condemning to them which i mean to her point i think again we could use some scripture here where it shows that you know jesus had compassion on the masses and he knows that they're they're in bondage to sin so he frees them to either from their sin or from their sickness um and then they follow him because nobody else could do that right nobody nobody else can free you from the bondage of, of your sin or sickness and so they follow him uh but we're not like right now it's just a really bad talk like not bad as in like oh it's heretical it's just like it's just not engaging so it was jesus demonstrating his kindness and his love to people it was that that made people to really see how amazing his love was and really want to receive him as lord Jesus has always, Jesus, God has always given us free will. This is very important because free will is is the only way you can actually fall in love with someone. Like I was saying before, arranged marriages usually don't work. That's actually, from my, I don't have stats. I don't have stats on this. Okay. My understanding though is if I remember right, actually arranged marriages culturally like within cultures that have those last a really long time i again i could be wrong if i'm wrong on that leave the stats in the in in the comment section below i'm almost positive i've heard that stat before though obviously we don't have arranged marriages in america anymore there's very few cultures that still do that but the ones that have traditionally done that they actually do last you're forced to love this person you need to love this person it usually doesn't work (laughs) But when a person shows you love, now you freely fall in love with them. And if, it's, if you're talking about a spouse, you want to spend your life with them. You want to serve them. You want to be a good spouse. You want to put them first. It comes from your heart. This is how it is with Jesus. We cannot fake being real Christians. We cannot fake being surrendered to God. You can't fake it. You can't be like the Pharisees and fake it. It doesn't work. 
You actually have to meet Jesus, the real Jesus. And when you do, you will fall in love with him. You have to fall in love with him, and then you will want to give your life to him, surrender to him. And guess what? We are vessels of Jesus. Jesus has just chosen it this way, that the world would know him through us. There are times when Jesus appears in person to people. There are times people Jesus appears in dreams and visions. But for the most part... What? <laughs> so this is going to vary based upon, obviously, your upbringing and domination. There have been people that claim that Jesus has appeared to them. Um, I don't know if one of those people that have then gone on to... Um, fit within orthodox christianity in regards to uh, theological teachings from scripture um so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna give it a big say what to what she just said because i'm not i'm not sure that like yeah that's okay art people meet encounter and fall in love with jesus as jesus is moving through a vessel and touching the person and encountering the person and demonstrating love to that person. It's just how God's chosen it to be, and that's my testimony. The ways that I've fallen lo in love with Jesus the most, the ways, the ways that made me want to surrender to Jesus and serve him with all my life and allow him to transform my heart every time, it actually was through a vessel of God. A vessel of God ministering and Jesus flowing through them and Jesus himself touching me through the person. This is how it is most of the way. And people cannot meet the real Jesus unless we are like Jesus. We have to represent Jesus rightly in order for people to encounter Jesus in his fullness through us. That means we have to be full of compassion, mercy, love, so a lot of this is what she's saying is like, hey, you're not those things. So you need to be those things. Like, that's what I'm hearing. So, I mean, again, traditionally, when you look at, um, we'll just use, again, the early church. Like, we'll use, we'll, we'll use all of that where there is a process of sanctification that happens in somebody's life. But that process of sanctification makes you more like Jesus over time. Um when we have, when you go back to the historically, the early church, right? You're talking about the second, third century. You have people that are just so dynamically changed by the message of Jesus that it's not like they have to make themselves that way. Again, the spirit in you, sanctifying you, giving you a new heart, giving you a new mind. This isn't by your own will that this happens, right? This is by the will of the spirit transforming you to be more like Jesus. Obviously, obviously there's, there's choices that you make in which um, that uh, this, that the spirit, for example, through sanctification shows you that, Hey, that was the wrong choice or that was the right thing to do. Uh, but it, it, again, you, you, you learning and growing to be more like Jesus through this process of sanctification and the transforming of your heart. What, what I'm getting from her is that like, Hey, you're not being Jesus. You have to like try hard, like do those things. And, um, what we see within historically within Christianity is it is, um, by the way that believers, live and interact and speak to people that is the defining difference within our lives that um 
that people know that you are a Christ follower, right? The way you talk to people, the way you interact with people, um, the way you, you, you deal honestly with people, um, the way you handle yourselves within marriage, the way you handle yourself with your kids, the way you do, like everything that you do is speaking of, of the transformed life that Christ has brought, right? So she's not entirely wrong that um, like the way you act and the things you say do that. But I think, I mean, we're talking all about spirit, not by might, right? It's not by your might that you do that. It's by the spirits indwelling in you as a believer that you're transformed. And so there are things that believers do. I mean, it's funny. There's people that I talk to that are, you know, I can relate to, obviously, uh, from earlier and still now, even sometimes within my Christian walk, where you're like, you'll look back and you'll be like, man, I used, I would have reacted this way to that situation, but now I react this way because of the change that's happened within me. And so it's not a, you know, white knuckling morality change by your own will that you do these things. It's by the sanctification of the spirit where you're not even many times not even thinking about it. It's just God working in you. And now you notice that you're treating people differently or you're speaking differently or you're handling things differently. Um, and that's the work of the spirit in you. Um, I'm not getting, maybe, maybe here in a minute, she's going to kind of get into that. But what I'm hearing right now is it's like, do, do these things. You know, Jesus, when he would see all the sinners, when he would see all the people doing all these evil things, Jesus wasn't mad at them. Jesus wasn't shaming them. Jesus saw things in the spiritual realm. Jesus simply saw, they don't know my love. Of course, that is how they are. Of course, they are doing those things. Of course, they have many demons. And demons... Uh, we don't have a verse for any of this. ...are controlling them. <laughs> demons are not control. No. Oh, okay. Nope. Because they don't know my love and they have not surrendered to me yet. What will fix the problem? What will make them to change? What will make them to stop sinning is simply this. For them to know my love. For them to meet me, know my love. That's it. Then they will want to follow me. They so there's no repentance here. Do you notice uh, there's not any repentance in her message? There's no changing one's mind to renounce the devil and his works and rather follow Christ uh, and his kingdom. Uh, none of that. Like it's not, there's not a repentance. It's that you have to meet Jesus. You see Jesus' love. Jesus' love transforms you. And then you just follow him. You will want to surrender to me. And this will release this protection upon them. And I will, my spirit will help them to surrender, to be transformed, to no longer have oppression, to no longer have an appetite of the things of the world and to do evil things. Jesus has had a heart for these people. Jesus did not condemn these people. He loved them. He saw what would really bring all the change. And so he stayed in that lane completely. He stayed focused on loving people the very best he could. So this isn't... Uh, this is like hearing, like, I'll just be honest with you. This is hard. <laughs> We're only halfway through. This is going to be difficult to get through. This is basically like hearing some random person at your church give a testimony, right? Somebody that loves Jesus, that has been saved from their sin, that knows that he's done something in them, but isn't really 100%, hasn't been discipled very well, isn't, you know, all theologically there, which is fine, right? I'm not condemning them. They just, 
there's a lot of people that are super rough around the edges as they're being sanctified, as discipleship's happening. There's stuff still now. What I mean, just in, in my personal discipleship that like, I'll learn something and I'm like, wow, okay, that's crazy. Like, I just didn't know that yet. And so it's one of those things where, you know, no shame on somebody gets up and gives a testimony. It's not like theologically tight, right? We have a lot of people that do that, but that's what this is reminiscent of. I have no clue why anybody's listening to her. Um, this is rambling right? I mean, does she love Jesus? Yes. Uh, am I totally convinced she knows about, you know, repentance and salvation? And I mean, Jesus, so she says that Jesus is just doing his best to love people so that they would, you know, be, come to him and be freed from demonic oppression. Uh, Jesus mentions a number of times, I am here uh, to fulfill my father's will. Um, I am here to proclaim the kingdom of heaven, right? I mean, the, the kingdom of God is a, an enormous part of the gospels. Jesus doing the will of the father is an enormous part of the gospels. Um, I can't think of one verse where he's just like, I've got to love these people really well so they can know me. I, I don't think there's a verse that says that. He stayed focused on healing them when they were sick casting out the demons when they were oppressed, teaching about his kingdom. He would teach them, my kingdom is not of this world. He would teach them what his kingdom's like. He would teach them the ways that lead to abundant life, eternal life here and now. He would teach them. He would teach them with love. When we read the gospels, this is all we see Jesus do. This is what we see Jesus do. The whole time he stays focused on demonstrating his love to people so they can actually receive him and change. We don't see him going into other places by might and by force and by power. We don't see him forcing himself in, into the Roman government and trying to make them to change. We see him train up his disciples for them to carry the gospel, for them to be vessels that will bring even more change to the world. He says, you will do the things I did in greater. You will change even more of the world than I've changed. Amen? And there's a story in the Bible of Peter where Cornelius, Cornelius, he was, a, he was an officer in, in government. He was an officer in the army and the government. And he was, he was a Gentile. He was not uh, a believer in Jesus. And he has this dream. And in the dream, it's like, you need to send Peter to come. And so he sends for Peter to come. Why not just read this? Right. I mean, here, here's one of the things that I will always contend for you to do when we're talking about listening to anyone that says that they have some sort of biblical authority. Right. If they says they're a pastor. Is that are they um, are they being anchored in the scripture? Right. So um, or are they just giving us some synopsis of a story? Right. So the two places that we have read scripture so far, we've not used them correctly. We've completely ripped them out of context. I'm going to guess that we tell a very loose version of Peter and Cornelius here, um, which could have been better communicated if we would have just read it. Um, Peter ministers to him. Cornelius encounters Jesus, falls in love with Jesus, wants to give his life to Jesus. Peter ministers to him with love. Peter is just a, a pure vessel for God's love to pour through him. Peter doesn't condemn him. Peter does not say you're evil. You need to stop doing what you're doing. He ministers to him with complete love. And Cornelius is saved and baptized that day. That's a very powerful, powerful, powerful story because it shows. 
Okay, we'll just read it then since she's not going to. Uh, it says, the next day, Peter started out with them and some of the... Um, hold on, where are we at here? There's Peter's vision. All right, so here we go. Um, it's going to be in Acts chapter 10 is where we'll be. This is where the story takes place. And we are going to go ahead and start uh, in verse 24. It says, The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As, Peter's enter as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met with him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people, and he said to them, uh, You are well aware that it is against our law for Jews to associate with and, or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising objection. Uh, may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in the house praying at this hour, uh, so Cornelius, by the way, is a God-fearer. So she said that he wasn't a believer in Jesus. Uh, it's important to understand within this context, above hand, like at the beginning of Acts 10, Cornelius is a God-fearer, which means that he uh, isn't a proselyte technically of Judaism. So he hasn't went all this, all through the steps, circumcision being one of them, to become a, a Jew. But he is a God-fearer. So he does offer sacrifices to, to the Jewish God. Um, and so it's not that he's just some you know rogue Gentile pagan out here. Um, he, he is aware of the God of Yahweh, but he hasn't, um, went through the steps to actually convert to Judaism, but he, he does offer sacrifice. And so anyway, that's important to know. Cornelius answered three days ago, I was, uh, in my house praying at this hour and, uh, at three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and he said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered, uh, your gifts to the poor. Uh, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of uh, Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now all uh, are here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. So obviously Cornelius is expecting, <laughs> expecting something to hear something from Peter. Peter has already said, like, I know, like you guys know, and I know that I'm not supposed to come in this house because it's, you know, the Jewish Gentile differentiation, but the Lord has spoken to Peter and told him it was okay and not to call them unclean. So he is there, though there is this sort of like a newness to this because he's not supposed to be there according to Jewish law. Verse 34, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord to all. You know what has happened through the providence of Judah, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. Now God has anointed Jesus of Nazareth uh, with the Holy Spirit and power, and he has went around doing good and healing all that is under the power of the devil because uh, God was with him. I'm not sure which version this I'm reading this from, by the way. Let me check real quick because this is different than my normal. Uh, NIV is what I'm reading this from, just so everybody's kind of clear. This is different than ESV. This wording sounds different. But so anyway, um, God is with him. Verse 39, we are witness to everything he did in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses from uh, whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank uh, with him after he rose from the dead. He, was co he commanded us to preach to the people 
and to testify that he is the one who got appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of their sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all those that heard the message. The circumcised uh, believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on every Gentile, uh, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of you being baptized with water. And they have, because they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then Peter asked to stay with them for a few days. So there's a couple of things we need to mention because she mentioned it, right? So he says that he did not, she, Peter didn't come to Cornelius preaching condemnation. Um, he, he does go to him and say in verse 39, uh, we are witnesses to everything he did in the country of Jews in Jerusalem, uh, Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God has raised him from the dead on the third day, causing him to be seen. Uh, let's skip down. Uh, verse 42. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one that God has appointed to judge the living and the dead. Okay. So there, there though there's not condemnation here, there is a judging that Peter is talking about that Jesus will do of the, uh, the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him, and everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through the through his name. So once again, we've talked about forgiveness. We've talked about sin. We've talked about judgment. Um, these are all things that aren't necessarily condemning initially, but there is this understanding that there is this separation. There is a need for forgiveness. There will be a judging that happens at the end. But while Paul, Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit comes, and um, Cornelius and all his house receives the Holy Spirit, and they're baptized. So... I just wanted to read all of that so that we understood that there are more intricate details to the account than what she's giving us, right? She's giving us a very broad version of the account that happens in Acts 10 for the reason, it seems, so she can highlight what she wants to highlight, but leave out what she doesn't, right? So not only are we talking about Peter preaching that Jesus uh, is going to judge living the dead. Not only are we preaching about the need for forgiveness of sins, not only are, I mean, all of these things are important to bring up. She's not even going to touch baptism, but the point is like all of these things are here, but we're not talking about them because it doesn't serve her point. Shows us how God can really reach anybody in this world, any kind of big leader, any kind of celebrity, any kind of person in the government, God can really reach them. But he wants to reach them by his spirit. He wants to reach them not by us forcing the Christian way, force our moral values on people. Peter is talking specifically about the forgiveness of sins, the judgment that Jesus will do for the living and the dead. Now, again, it's not fire and brimstone, granted. But he does mention at the very beginning to Cornelius that they're like, I'm not supposed to enter the house because you're seen as unclean. But God has shown me there is no such thing as unclean or clean. He comes in, he gives the whole thing, tells them about who Jesus is, tell them about you know Jesus's judgment, tells them about the forgiveness of sins that he was told to proclaim. And in so telling them this, uh, the spirit falls on them, right? Cornelius is already a God-fearer. He's already, he knows that uh, Yahweh, uh, the God of the Jews, is uh, God. And he's he's apparently been very generous to the poor, um, this is what Peter notes. So it's one of these things that there's just a lot more going on here than, um, you know, don't, don't be mean and condemn people.
but for us to be vessels of Jesus in his fullness, which is not condemnation, shame, and judgment, which is not a force, but a free will. Let me show you my Jesus. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me pray for you if you need freedom, if you need healing. Let Encounter Jesus through me. That's our job. Amen. Our job is very more simple than we make it out to be, than we think it is. Because what we tend to do is think that we need to, do, we need to go by the spirit and by might and by power. We think we need to do it all, and we overcomplicate things too much. And what we actually do is we end up going completely by might and by power and not by spirit at all. We think we're going by the spirit. We, we become like the Pharisees. The Pharisees thought they were doing things of the spirit, but they were completely doing things by might and power, and they missed Jesus completely. Amen. And they misrepresented Jesus completely. There are people in the church today who are misrepresenting Jesus completely to the world, turning people off from Jesus because they're not coming, giving people free will. They are not coming with compassion and love. They are not being vessels, anointed vessels, because they're being like Pharisees. They're not allowing God to pour anointing in them so that they can actually have God's power so that people can encounter Jesus and be set free and be healed in their presence. So I think it's an important note here, right, to, 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 to pull out that historically, real quick, Real quick lesson here. So when we leave the uh, the Jews in the Old Testament, as far as after they've come out of the exile, um, we don't have Pharisees and Sadducees. Pharisees and Sadducees develop within the intertestamental time, um, and the you know the onslaught of Hellenization, all brought on by Alexander the Great. The short story is this: you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees developing because of Hellenization, and the Jews. Uh, after returning from the exile, obviously before the New Testament comes around, trying to adapt, how do we keep our culture? How do we how do we stay Jewish but integrate into this very Hellenized Greek world, right? So the Sadducees are more than happy to like have see it and be like, hey, we can be Jews and we can be Greeks and we can do like we can participate in the culture and not have to worry about it and still maintain our you know our Jewishness. And the Pharisees are those that are like, hey, the reason we even got exiled is because we did not obey God's law. So how about we try obeying God's law? And so they are the much more staunch um, group of individuals that are very careful about observing and teaching and holding on to God's law. So really, the, the Pharisees start out as not a bad group. I mean, they really start out as those that are really just holding on to the fundamentals of their faith. They want to make sure they're preserved in a world that is very much around them syncretistic. Um, now, as that goes on, by the time we get to the New Testament, obviously, we have the Sadducees that are very much more concerned about um, power in the temple. They're very much more concerned about being seen well by the uh, the Roman Empire and the Hellenization. You know, hey, you know, we're just like you. Uh, and then we have the Pharisees that are very much more concerned about the law and the rules. In fact, so much so that they've added a bunch to make sure that they don't go outside of the boundaries at all. Like they've, they've, they've even added more rules than God gave them. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees, by we get to the New Testament, by the time we get to the New Testament, I'm sure you've heard this before, don't like each other at all. They hate each other. But Jesus <laughs> brings them together over their, their mutual hatred for Jesus. Um, and so what we have here is we always hear this whole like, don't be like the Pharisees. And there's a great point to be made there. In regards to, yeah, if you are being pharisaical in regards to like adding all of these burdens onto people, Jesus tells the Pharisees this, you've added all of these burdens onto people 
And it's because they've added all these laws on top of the laws that God gave them. And they, they're, they're trying to be so staunch that they've missed, they've missed the whole point of the law to begin with. And so we hear this a lot. You're pharisaical because you're so like staunch about the rules. Um, Again, I think it's not bad to be in the pharisaical mindset in regards to how they started, right? This whole idea that we need to observe the laws that God has given us. Now, obviously, if you take it to the extreme and just start adding burdens for, for burden's sake, I don't think that's helpful. I think that is not helpful. But it's also, um, I, I just it, I find it interesting how it's always like, hey, if you mention the Bible at all, like, I mean, let's just be honest. From what I've got so far, Catherine Crink would think I'm a Pharisee. Some of you guys do. I don't really care. But the point is that like we're just saying things and we're claiming that it's by the filling of the spirit that we now she can say these things um, while we've completely ignored the scripture that she's pulled out to use as some sort of authority for what she's saying. Um, it's just not <laughs> we don't see that's how that works. When Jesus or the apostles reference scripture, they don't reference it in in, in the way that, that she's referencing it, right? Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, let's keep going. But instead, no spiritual change happens, but they become like Pharisees and judge and try to force their way on people. That's not the way. That's by might and by force. This turns away people. This turns away the people of the world when we come by might and by force. When we try to force Jesus on people and when we try to force our Christian values on people. like So the agreements here that I would have as her is you can't force Jesus on people, right? You just can't. Now, the tension you will have uh, in a society, and I think we're seeing it now, is that when you have believers living as believers, you are naturally going to come into some sort of conflict with the wider culture. This is exactly what happens with the early church. Uh, as it grows, especially, um, these Christians come in conflict with the pagan world around them. They declare Jesus is the only king. He's the only God. We're not going to sacrifice to other gods. And that's a huge issue for the Roman Empire. Um, it's a little issue at first because Christians are just annoying. But then it becomes a bigger issue when the Roman Empire is uh, struggling to maintain unity. It's struggling to win battles. And now you can blame the Christians because the gods, the pantheon of gods that you have, are mad that the Christians aren't sacrificing to them. So now you go after the Christians because they obviously are the problem, right? According to the Romans. So that, again, Christianity will always at some point come in conflict with culture because of your Christian values. Should you put those on everybody? No. But are you going to have a better society when you have more Christians living out bottom up um, the teachings of scripture? Of course you are. Uh, again, forcing anybody is going to be uh, problematic and difficult and probably not altogether helpful. Um, so we may, me and Catherine may agree on that point. Do not force Jesus on people people don't have a choice change does not come by us saying you are evil what you're doing is wrong you need to stop it you're evil you should be ashamed you need to turn to Jesus and repent I hear I hear this a lot I hear I hear this a lot and it breaks my heart I know it breaks God's heart because there are a lot of people lost in that. So when Jesus said, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, 
like that like that was that was bad or when john uh john the baptist talks about um the uh forget the exact term he uses where he's talking about like the axes laid to uh the 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 root of the tree right um was that bad like there like it's just not making logical sense the things that she's saying that's not being the light of the world we're called to be the light of the world the light that attracts the lost who or the light that illuminates the darkness. I don't know. Either way, whatever. Who are filled with darkness. They are brought to the light. And our job is to just be the light. Be love. Be compassion. Be mercy. Be forgiveness. Be an example of what Jesus can do in a person. My life is full of joy, peace, healing. God has freed me from addiction. He's freed me from everything. Jesus can do this for you. And they just come like a bug attracted to a light. And then they actually, when you can be this kind of light that carries anointing, yes. it can be very simple where someone says, well, I have suicidal thoughts. I have depression. I have murderous thoughts. And you can say, I can pray for you right now. Jesus wants to free you. And you can just command those murderous spirits to go. You can command those suicidal thoughts to go. You can command that depression to go. And that person can encounter Jesus right here and there in one minute. Doesn't take long. They can be saved. They can be completely free. Now they can be living for Jesus. So here's an important thing, I think, in, in that regard, right? So depending on the, the denominational background you come from, either what she just said you agreed with or she, what she just said you thought was crazy, right? So I think there's a nice middle road there, right? And I'm a fence sitter, so why not? Um, I think the idea of, like, commanding spirits to leave is a little, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily... See, we could talk about that. We're not going to talk about it now. But the point being is I think that on the other side that people are like, well, she's crazy for saying that. I think those people typically don't pray for people in their day-to-day -day life, right? So if somebody comes up and says, man, I'm struggling with suicide, I don't think, I think the right way to handle that is to pray for them, right? Now, am I commanding the suicidal thoughts to leave uh, or the suicidal demons to leave? Um, I don't think I'm going quite that far. But I'm definitely praying that God comforts them, shows them uh, their value, shows them their worth, shows them that he loves them, right? I mean, there are things that we can do there as far as prayer for them uh, without going all the way to, demon, come out of this person, right? Um, again, she's showing sort of that deliverance ministry bent that she has when she says that. But I do have to, I mean, I think there is something to be said about you know, praying for people when they actually need prayed for, point them to Jesus, point them to the, the hope that you have, right? Not everything she's saying here is crazy. Um, I would still attest to this is basically just an hour long testimony or a 40 minute long testimony, but let's keep going. And they had planned to go kill people. They had planned to kill themselves. And now that plans were, those plans were stopped because they encountered Jesus through you. The world needs to encounter Jesus' love, and the world needs freedom. They need freedom. But, but guys, revival's now, and God wants to use all of you by his anointing, by his power. He does. This is, this is really how the world will change. But we cannot be anointed vessels when we're judgmental. <laughs> God will never give you anointing to cast out demons when you 
when you judge others so much. See, so there's this goal apparently of being able to cast out demons. And you're like, these people are so evil. They need Jesus. We need to stop them. They're evil. God can never pour anointing in you to actually free those people. Yes, those people are doing evil things. Yeah. I'm going to say something here that I know is going to sound petty, but her voice is just really getting to me. Yes. Yes, of course they are. They need freedom. But we were once lost too. We were once blind too. And I think about my life. I was raised in the most amazing family. My parents are pure. They're so pure. They have pure hearts. They. I was grown in a raised in a Christian home. I gave my life to Jesus at age four because mom and dad told me about Jesus, brought me to church, led me to give Jesus, to, to ask Jesus in my heart at age four. And they never, they never drank. They never swore. They never did drugs. They never even talked bad about people. Who am I to judge people doing evil out there? So many people did not have the life I had. Of course I am the way I am. Why are we judging people that are doing evil? Of course they are. The devil's real. People don't know the love of God. So many don't. Of course they're doing evil. But do we really? So what's interesting is there's not, um, I'd be interested to know her, her, uh, her, like, what would she say about, like, uh, depravity? What would she say about sin, right? Are people born sinful? Uh, is it just because they don't know Jesus' love? Like, how would, I'd be interested to know how she works that out, right? Because so far her... So far, the build has been people uh, need freedom from what apparently is demonic oppression in everyone's life, and they need freedom from that, and the way they'll get freedom from that is us living out Jesus' love in front of them in a non, non-condemning way, is what I've picked up so far. Now, that still has not answered uh, how the kingdom comes, not by might, but by by the spirit unless she's saying that by living out Jesus in front of people and showing them his love is how the kingdom comes because it's by the spirit and not by might really want to see them receive Jesus we should we should have hearts for these people doing evil we should have hearts it's so it's so important to want to protect those people who are who are being hurt by people doing evil out there. That's important. Yes, yes. But laws don't actually stop the murderous spirits inside. By might and by force, laws do not stop the murderous spirits inside. Those murderous spirits remain. And murder will still happen if the person allows themselves to be that possessed when they don't know Jesus' love. You know, I'm, I'm grateful to live in such a great country and, and there's, there's peace here for the most part compared to most countries. There's peace and, and do you know why there's, there's peace because <laughs> of the laws, because <laughs> of the laws. Big reason is because there's, there's good laws in place. We have great laws in place. Exactly. Like for example, driving a car, I'm grateful that there's a speed limit <laughs> because I can, I don't, ha I can just kind of relax when I'm driving my car. I'm grateful for that. But I know that God is really the one who's protecting me, not the laws, you know? And I know, but I also know that there's people on the road that if they want to break the speed limit and go really fast, they'll do it. So it's like that. By might and by force, laws can, can, 
help in some way, but they're not taking care of the root. And we need to know this as believers, that. that we were called to take care of the root. Amen? This is where the real change can come. Otherwise, we will go around in circles, 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 and circles. For so long, many people look to uh, the upcoming president as this is what's going to bring all the change that I've dreamed of. We tend to look many times in a president as like the savior. Laws can change, but dem demonic spirits remain. So all of the evil is demonic spirits then. That, that seems like that's fairly clear at this point. It's not sin nature. It's not rebellion against God. It's not um, any of that. It's demonic spirits. So within her reasoning, it makes sense of what she's, a lot of what she said then if that's how she processes stuff because now it's not... It's not your. It's not you doing it, right? It's the demonic spirit inside of you doing it, and the way to free you from that is showing you Jesus's love, um, and then and then casting out the demon, right? Apparently, that seems because she's told them that already. She's told them that if they're judgmental and and they condemn people, they can't be the spirit of anointing can't be poured in them for them then in order to free the other people from demonic spirits and the people need freed from demonic spirits according to her because that's what's making them do the evil in the world and that's why you should have compassion on them because they're not doing it it's the demonic spirit that's doing it and then we have to be non-judgmental and compassionate so we can cast that demonic spirit out of them uh, by the love of jesus i think i've done that math right let me know what you think below let's keep going Laws can change, but people will break the laws regardless when they have demonic spirits. Amen. Not by might, not by power, but by the spirit, says the Lord. Amen. Amen. A person murders not because there's a law against it or not, but because they have a demon of murder. That so it's not, see, okay, so this is very interesting. We've, we've come across... A pretty core part of her theology, apparently, which is not that it's not sin, it's not your sin nature, it's not that you you were, you were born in the line of in of Adam, and um, so you've inherited Adam's sin. None of that, apparently, is what's going on. It's demonic spirits in you that you need freed from. That's that is the core root of the evil part. So uh, within her logic. Obviously, no law is going to make a difference then because if you have a demonic spirit, the demonic spirit is going to make you break the law anyway. So, which, I mean, this the math doesn't add up because if everybody that's not a believer has a demonic spirit of whatever, I guess, could you have a demonic spirit of gluttony? I suppose probably in her mindset you could. So then you're not the one overeating. It's the demon that's making you overeat, which is far less like evil demon because he's just making you overeat he's not making you kill people but that fills them possesses them where they can't even control it anymore and they don't know god's love a person steals not because there's a law that says or says they can or can't steal but because they have a demon and they don't know god's love like where like i, I hate i'm sorry guys i hate to keep interrupting where is any like this this is why 
I would guess, at the core of why she doesn't stick to the scriptures. Because now what we've done is we've used two scriptures at the beginning that have nothing to do with anything that she's talking about. They just contain the words that she needs in order to then say the rest of this. She gives us a 25-minute lecture on just random things that want to come out of her mouth. And then by the time we get to 27 minutes, now we're to the core problem. It's the demons inside of people. But she doesn't have to point out any scripture for it because why would she? She hasn't talked about scripture for the last 20 minutes. People have racism and hatred in their hearts and do racist actions, not because there's laws for or, or against Racist it, demon. But because in many times, unfortunately, it's people in the church have spirits of hatred and spirits of racism in them. And many times are generational curses, like family being involved in cults like KKK, Freemasonry, stuff like that. It's a spiritual thing that passes throughout time. This is why we must be doing things by the Spirit. And for so long, we have not seen the mighty, miraculous power of God. We have not seen it by and large in the church for the most part. And this is where a lot of the church has really veered off course going completely by might and by power because they truly don't see change. They truly don't see change in their ministry. They don't see change in the people around them. So they really don't believe anymore about, they don't know what by my spirit even means. She doesn't know what by my spirit even means. <laughs> like we haven't, we just pulled, we just, we just pulled verses out. I mean, what in the world? She can't give, or she had, I can't, I'm not going to say she can't because I'm sure she has, has explained herself somewhere else other than this sermon, but she has not in this sermon explained at all, anything that backs up what she's saying about demonic experience, making people do things, um, all the time. Right. Um, basically people have no culpability in their sin because it's not them that's doing it. Right. Um, which eliminates their need for repentance because it wasn't them doing it anyway. Uh, eliminates really the reason, you know, I mean, what's the point of the cross, right? What's the point of atonement? You weren't the one doing the sin. It was the demon doing it, the sin. And you just need to be freed from that demon by being shown the love of Jesus. And so really the cross and resurrection, I mean, I'm sure maybe she believes it, maybe she doesn't. I don't have a clue. Uh, but the, the point being is that it doesn't, it doesn't hold any power. Why? Because why would it need to? Right. I mean, maybe she does. I'm not saying she doesn't believe in the atonement, the, the, you know, Christ's, Christ's atonement on the cross. I'm not saying she doesn't believe in the physical resurrection. I'm not saying she doesn't believe in it. Maybe she does. But if it's not you that did any of these bad things, if it's not you that are responsible for these bad things, you just need to be freed from these demons. Then two things flow logically from that. You're not responsible for anything you've done. It was the demon that did it. You just need to be shown the love of Jesus so you can follow him. And two, demonic um, exorcism is almost required for salvation at this point, right? I mean, you you cast out the demon of you know obesity, the demon of thievery, the demon of whatever, because that's what's oppressed. That's the thing making you do the thing, right? So it almost falls in logical in succession here. That to be saved, you'd almost have to have a demon cast out of you. And this is why we have seen such a veering of going into so much might and power by many in the church. But revival is now. Yes. Yes. And God is restoring his spirit, 
his miraculous power to the body of Christ. So we need to understand now that that same God who moved by his spirit through Moses, by Joshua, through Peter, he is with us today moving by that same power. He's here and he's moving in this way now. We need to have a heart for the world to change. We need to have a heart for evil to stop as much as possible, to be less in this world. So we can't stop it all, but we can make it less. But we need to have this heart of Jesus that knows actually how change will come. We have to love people so well. We have to love people through our posts on social media. We need to stop looking judgmental and shaming to the world. They're receiving that judgment and shame, and they're not being attracted to you. They're being pushed away from Jesus. When you say, I'm a Christian, and you become forceful, forcing your will on them and coming with judgment. So what's interesting is where... Where would she draw the line then? Like, she's not going to tell us, right? But if you're going to say Christ is king, for example, right? Declaration, Christ is king. That's a very definitive statement. Now, when Christians say Christ is king, we go, you don't have to believe it, but it's true, right? So is that too forceful? Like, where would she say the line is then, right? Because if it's just like, God loves you. Okay, why? Why does he love me? Like, what did he do to show the love? Well, he died on the cross for you. Okay, why did he die on the cross for me? For your sins. Okay, but according to your theology so far, it's the demon in me that's causing me to do the thing. So how culpable am I, right? Like, like where, like I'd love to like see her walk this out within a like a systematic theology, just laying it out for me. Like, how does all of this? How do these pieces go together? Because so far we haven't got a like a cognizant sort of thought on this. How this works? It's just like a bunch of word vomit. We have to be so careful how we represent God. We Represent, as Mike Todd says. We have to be so careful to only show love, kindness, mercy, free will to everybody. She's ran into a really mad Calvinist. Can you tell? <laughs> She's, she, has, she, has had, she has had some interaction with some Calvinists at some point, and they did not go well, apparently. In our real-life conversations... And on social media to people we don't know. It's a big deal, guys. It's a big deal because the world is watching. The people who are lost are becoming more lost because of Pharisees. Can you become more lost? Can you become more lost than you already are? Like if you're lost and dead in your sins, can you become more dead in your sins? And it's not, again, notice it's not, it's not because of the rebellion toward God. It's because of religious people, which does not include her, right? So, um, like, this just doesn't, like, this is so, I'll go back to what I said before. I know we're almost done. I mean, it's like an hour and 20 minutes in this review. We've got eight minutes left in this, this talk. I'm not going to even call it a sermon. Um, it's just none of this lines up. This is all blah, 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 blah. It's a serious deal that grieves God's heart. We are called to win the lost. Yes. We have to be attractive to the lost. 
We have to look like Jesus, who is so attractive, who is full of light you cannot resist. The Pharisees seem to resist pretty well. We will see the world change. We will see the world change when we do this. I'm telling you, we will see shifts. You see, this This is all on you. Do you see that? This is all your works. This is all your works. If you don't do this, people are going to burn. Well, she doesn't say they're going to burn in hell. If, uh, if How can I uh, properly attribute her, her word? Like, if you don't do this well enough, people, people will not know Jesus' love. This is all on you guys. Don't even be a little pharisaical at all. Never. We will see shifts in every sphere of the earth, just like in the book of Acts through Cornelius. We will see shifts in government. We will see shifts in... There's no indication at all that there was a shift in government because of Cornelius. Hollywood. We will see shifts with businessmen and women, people of influence. We will see shifts where people will meet the real Jesus and they will, they will bring God's will to this earth in their sphere of influence. Amen. There was one, one time I ministered in, I think it was uh, South Carolina, I think it was, or was it Florida? One of those. In December, I ministered, and there was a guy who came, and he shared that he came there to stop what I was doing. But God touched him. The anointing touched him. He renounced, and he was delivered. Hallelujah. But he testified of this. He testified of this. And he testified that he was um, a leader. He was like part of a mafia. Mafia. And like he was a leader of a group of them in that town, city. He was literally leader of them. And he wrote this testimony later where he was just full of joy and full of peace and telling people about Jesus, the, the mafia people, his people he was leading. And he's <laughs> okay. So, uh, assuming this is true, I would a hundred percent have that on my website, right? I mean, if a mafia boss had shown up to stop what I was doing at an event, like I don't know what stop means. Does that mean just like shut it down, or does that mean like you like what does that mean? So, if he showed up, right, and the anointing of me, um, like changed his life. And then he goes back to the mafia, which apparently, like, well, you know, it's more believable that there's actually a mafia in Florida or South Carolina. But the point is that he goes back and he shares his, you know, his conversion story, which isn't really a conversion story. It's just that the anointing touched him so much that he had peace. Um, that would be a story worth having on your website, right? That would, I mean, that'd be pretty huge. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He, he's telling them, he's telling them about, about this. And they're like, boss, are, what's, what's, what's going on with boss? They, they were so confused. They were so shocked. He was so different and he was on fire for Jesus. But when I ministered that day, man, I remember I was not like, there's somebody here who's doing very evil. You need to repent and God will deliver you. You need to stop this. And you need to receive Jesus as Lord. I didn't do like that. 
And God didn't even reveal that to me in the service. I just saw him as another, any other person who needed Jesus, who needed freedom. And he came up on the stage, and he was, like, full of, like, rage. I mean, it was demons manifesting, but he was, like, full of, like, rage and, like, scared. And he was just, like, turning away from the camera and just, like, like this. And I was just, God led me to just be gentle. So we have video evidence of this then. Right. I mean, he, she just said he was on camera. So this is a pretty big deal. Is this on her site? I would like to see a video of this. This seems like a pretty miraculous thing that happened. Yes, I'm being 100% sarcastic unless you can give me the video and then I'll probably still be sarcastic. But the point being like I, I've said this before in, in videos, OK, where we're looking at sermons. If you're going to make enormous, huge claims like that, that could le legitimately bring people to a, a, a saving knowledge of Jesus. Like they see this person of who they were and who they are now. And they're like, wow, that's incredible. Who, what happened? And that person can point to Jesus and freedom in Christ and all that. A hundred percent have that up on your site. Like you clearly have it on camera. It was clearly a, a definitive moment for you. Where's it at? So we can show other people, right? Um, that's all I'm saying. Right. Whenever we reference, if I reference somebody in a story in one of my sermons, I can point to that person. I can give you their number and you can call them. Um, it's just, just so much, so many, you know, fanciful tales that pastors tell that just can't be verified sometimes. And kind and attractive, like, like attractive, not pushing away, <laughs> you know, but like, it's okay. God's freeing you right now. He loves you. And I, I, I just love that I didn't see all of the evil that he's done. You know, I love that God didn't show that to me. Um, just especially so I could extra, extra be able to just treat him like anybody else. And just love him. And just be kind and, you know, just, just see him as, as all of us who once were lost and just need Jesus, need his love. And he was so, like scared that I know it was the love and compassion of Jesus that 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 made him want to come to him and renounce and be free I know it I know that if I wasn't that way he would have ran out because he looked like he was about to amen um also there's been several times several times in front of so many people people have surrendered to God they've renounced I've seen them renounce murderous homicidal thoughts. These people are not evil people. These people just need freedom. These people... I'd just like to, uh, to state again that it's pretty clear at this point she does not believe in, uh, in like the fact that we're all born in sin. Right? You're not evil. You're not rebellious toward God. You're not um, you know, seeking your own good and gain you're just filled with the demon we'll just have a demonic spirit that says you need to kill you need to kill you need to just playing over 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 in their head they're not an evil person they need freedom they need deliverance that really opened up my eyes to see you could see these people were just normal people they didn't look like evil people you know but we tend in the church to be like these evil people how dare they do that? We need to stop them and we...
So here's my guess real quick. And I know I keep interrupting. I don't like, welcome to a sermon review. Uh, but here's my guess is that she has grown up around or she knows people that have been apparently Calvinistic. She's mentioned free will a whole bunch. Um, so probably Calvinistic in background, probably, well, not probably, it's pretty apparent they've been incredibly judgmental uh, of different individuals. And so she seems to be reacting to that um, very strongly, right? So it's all about free will. It's all about people deciding for themselves. It's not that it's, you know, it's not predestination or anything like that. Also, people aren't, you know, aren't, aren't sinful from birth. Uh, you know, they're not depraved. They're just, they're filled with demons. So her theology, if it's not completely built out of a reaction to that, it's definitely helped along with a reaction to that, to where now her theology very much seems to be, there are good people filled with evil spirits. And the way that you are saved, which she hasn't ever really said that is through deliverance from those evil spirits. And it can only be done by people that are not judgmental that have been filled with the anointing, which she has not defined at all. Um, and then the people that are filled with anointing, which apparently not a lot of people, um, her, she would say, can then cast out these evil spirits or demons from people and then set them free to love Jesus well, right? Um, so that's basically her, her salvation theology, if you would want to call it that, or at least how she's laid it out in this sermon. I, I'm forced to now... <laughs> to to deduce her salvation theology because we haven't read scripture forever we're obviously not going to oh, we're so close guys three minutes to stop them by might and by force god's will must be done we must force god's moral way here right don't have you seen that that's not that's not helping the problem. That's not fixing the problem. We need to show love and compassion to these people so that they can actually be free. We need to stop seeing them as evil people. They are lost and they need Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's time we are the light of the world where, where people are watching your social media and stuff and they're like, man, they, they're different than all those other judgmental Christians I've met in my life and all the other judgmental Christian posts I see. There's something different about this person. And they're not even commenting to you. They're not saying these things, but you are planting massive seeds by what you're not saying yes. and by what you're saying with love instead of judgment. You are being the light of the world that's making them be to, to, to actually see who Jesus is. They're seeing Jesus in a glimmer through you when they didn't see him before because nobody represented him rightly with all the Christians they knew in their life. This is how people will come into the kingdom and be changed. Is by us taking this very seriously, I'm only going to love. I'm only going to love with everything I say, with every post I make. I'm only going to love and be merciful and compassionate and be attractive and give people free will up for Jesus. Amen. This is, this is, this is the kind of so, army, hold on, revival wait, wait army that God's raising up now, that we would be the true light of the world and we would attract the lost. where the, the love that is seen through us would attract people of power, people of influence, every kind of person in this world, they'd be attracted. I never wanted to come to church, but I saw you. I just interacted with you, and I don't know. I just felt to come here. 
and they find Jesus and they're delivered and they become they become a world changer. God's raising up world changers to make other world changers. That's what we're doing. We're going to change the world by God's spirit, by being the light, by being the salt, by being love, and being like our Father who gives free will. Amen. Hallelujah. Are you ready to be the light? It's time for all of you to be brighter lights, to be brighter, to be brighter. God's going to send people to look at you as you choose to be brighter. He's going to send people that will be attracted to you. And okay, so let's go. Let's go back to the main screen here because that was the end. Um, wow. If you felt like I paused too much through that, that's fine. Uh, the link is in the description below. You can watch the whole thing through if you'd like. Um, let's cover the three things that we cover in every sermon review, and then we'll kind of talk about it real quick. One, did she read the scriptures? Absolutely barely. Um, the very minimum, <laughs> the very minimum. And we only did, we only read as much of the scriptures as we had to, to grab out the keywords that she wanted to use the, to then use. So I guess the second question kind of follows logically, which is, did she exegete the scriptures using context and culture? No, absolutely not. And then did we preach the gospel of Christ? No, no, we did not. Um, basically I've already, I've already talked about kind of what she apparently sees as her salvation thing. She doesn't really include a lot of, there's not really repentance ever mentioned there because you're not really bad. It's just the demonic spirits in you that are bad. Um, there's not really a reason to preach Christ and him crucified. The, there's no reason to preach Jesus, uh, Jesus's atonement on the cross. There's no reason to really preach Jesus resurrected from the grave. Maybe she believes those things. Maybe she doesn't. I have no clue. Um, but there's no real reason to do any of that because Jesus is basically your example on how to love people well. And uh, that's your job. You bring Jesus' kingdom to earth by loving people to Jesus. So the more loving you are, the more compassionate you are, um, that's, that's how they will be drawn to Jesus. Uh, somewhere, in that equation, you cast a demon out of them, um, and you can only cast that demon out of them if you are anointed, if you're filled with the anointing, but you can't be filled with the anointing if you're at all judgmental. So you have to work really hard to be loving and not judgmental so that you can be filled with the anointing. So as you're being loving, people are drawn to you, even though they're filled with demons. And then as they're drawn to you, even though they're filled with demons, then you can cast those demons out of them because you're filled with the anointing because of the love that you have that has drawn the demonic people to you. So yeah, it makes sense. That's yeah, total, totally. We have no verses for any of that, but that's exactly what she said. So I think that we could surmise that, uh, Catherine Crick from five F church, um, is a no go, right? I mean, not just her. I mean, uh, again, I try to make sure that I mentioned that these sermon reviews just aren't about, Hey, look how great or how bad this pastor is. But if you have someone preaching like this, um, it's a no go, right? We didn't use scripture. We just said whatever apparently was in our head and we encourage people to simply love Jesus. I have no problem. And I would very much uh, agree with her that there are people that are incredibly judgmental and are not Christ-like, uh, for sure. But I think we would definitely agree with what um, judgmental means in regards to how you present the gospel. Um, so there's that. Let me know what you guys think below. Like what, 
Oh, how do you feel about this one? Uh, let me know below. If you're not subscribed, make sure you do that. If you've not uh, clicked the like button, I don't know why not. And I'll see you next week.